caregivers have you ever felt like nothing is going right well cheer up and welcome to dave the caregivers caregiver radio program where you'll learn how to avoid that dreaded thing called caregiver burnout and how to survive the grieving process. Join Dave and his guests now as they share practice tips and tools that you can start using immediately to help get you through this day. Now, here's your caregiver host, Dave Nassani. Greetings, everybody. Broadcasting from Huntington Beach, California, and from New York City, coast to coast, as soon as my late Co-host Adrian Gruberg logs in. Something must have come up over there on the East Coast. Maybe Trump's in town. <laughs> a big welcome to, to all my Big Apple and L.A. Uh, listeners out there. And I'm Dave Nassani on the Caregiver Dave radio show, coming to you live from the syndicated all-positive talk radio network, HealthyLife.net, broadcasting in all 50 states and 135 countries with my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg from thecaregiverspace.org. And just a reminder that all our shows are available on demand at HealthyLife.net and our membership website, CaregiverDave.com, voted number two best podcast of the top six podcasts on Caring.com. And we just got some new statistics. We are number one of the top 50 podcasts on Player FM, uh, Caregiver Podcast, that is. And if wow. You're right, yeah. <laughs> and if you go right now to Caregiver Dave. Dot com. Better late than never, Adrian. No, I was <laughs> uh, here. Oh, was you? Good for you. <laughs> and, uh, go on caregiverdave.com, our free burnout quiz, as well as my first book about overcoming hardships, unbelievable hardships, not just regular hardships. Uh, so do that right now while listening to the show. And we do have an exciting show planned for you today. We will be interviewing Humble the Poet. Yes, he's famous in Canada. Kanwa <laughs> Mal is a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, uh, slam, uh, what do you call that? Slam poet. Right? Did I get that right? Internationally best, oh, slam reader, what is it? Slam poet. Slam poet, I had it right. Internationally best-selling author and former elementary school teacher. Now, if that's not a combination, I don't know what is. And with a wildly popular blog of over 100,000 monthly readers, real readers. And he's had more than 930,000, that would be over or almost a million social almost media followers. And his first edition, we're going to have a party when he hits a million. <laughs> and his first edition of Unlearn is a Globe and Mail bestseller. Originally did it uh, self-published and they picked it up. He's performed at concerts and festivals including... Lollapalooza, if I said that right, and has yes. been featured in major media, including BuzzFeed and Huffington Post. Wow. What an amazing guest. I want to, first of all, take this opportunity to thank my last week's guest, Joan Markwell, the grief expert, and you can hear that interview and all our interviews on HealthyLife.net and our membership website, caregiverdave.com. All right, enough of that. Humble, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. We've never had a guest like you before. <laughs> but I like to ask my guests uh, to take a minute or two and just tell us who is Humble the Poet and why was he put on this earth? Uh, Humble the Poet is a multidisciplined artist. I, I, I love bringing ideas to life. And currently I'm bringing ideas to life through the mediums of music, um, visual arts, fashion, uh, 
film as well as literature. So you know, wow. talking about my book on Learn, there's quite a bit of things I've been able, very fortunate to do. I've been on this journey for the last 10 years after I left my former life as an elementary school teacher. <laughs> and um, I think it's just an evolution of me wanting to be that, a lifelong learner and needing things that is another life, to learn from. That is another life, elementary school teacher. Completely. So make sure we explore every facet of, of you because I don't want to leave one un, unturned, you know. And so, first of all, you're uh, you're from uh, parents of of India immigrants, right? Yeah, my parents and, uh, emigrated from India in the seventies. Yeah. And you were born here in this country. I was born in Canada. Yes, in the eighties. Oh, in that country. Oh. Yeah. yeah, to the north. <laughs> to the north. I got the good passport. So let's talk <laughs> about uh, you know you, you talk about cutting yourself some slack. You talk about how living up to your expectations of others or ourselves can actually hold us back. Go down that road. Let's let's hear about this because this is this is stuff caregivers need to hear. Who would ever think that a caregiver, Adrian, can learn something from a from a rapper and a poet? Yeah, I would. <laughs> we had a well, poet. We got to remember too, though. I think I think you know, hip hop and rap. That's the, the evolution of literary art. So I mean, that's people got to recognize that rappers are more talented than Shakespeare in my eyes. They, that's true. Shakespeare they, they, they was a rapper, probably. On the spot. He, he definitely <laughs> was, and you know, he rhymed and he told stories, and I think it was beautiful that he did it. Yeah. Um, Kill the attorneys. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, we all have voices in our head. And a lot of those voices came <laughs> from those who raised us. And those voices really get in the way when we try to create the life that we want. And we, you know, we go on social media and compare ourselves to other people when we see them and then identify gaps in our own lives and start to feel, you know, feel low and, and go hard on ourselves. And what we're not realizing is, you know, we're kind of sabotaging ourselves. We're, we're yeah. really... We're really doing a lot to keep ourselves from living the type of lives that we want to live. And especially in a world, you know, on this side of the pond where, you know, being productive and getting as much done as possible is such a priority. Nothing ever feels like it's enough. Even if we're doing so much and we're doing plenty, we don't feel like we're doing enough. So, you know, I encourage people to cut themselves slack. And in my journey, you know, when you become self-employed, it's you're sitting there trying to figure out what you're doing and how to make money and, <laughs> And how to get people to pay attention to you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, you compare yourself to somebody who's 10 years deeper into the game and, and seeing all these gaps with what you're doing. And you got to cut yourself some slack. Everybody is starting wherever they're starting. Some people have advantages over others. This is how the world has always been. It's never been an even playing field. And the more we respect the reality of that, the better equipped we are to deal with it. Yeah. That's good Good advice. And translation to caregivers who are burned out, you know, sit down, write some poetry, become a rapper, uh, <laughs> you know, read. Write learn, it out. Learn to, learn to rest, not quit. And get it out of you. Because ah. if it's in you, it can't help anybody. What was the yeah. thing you said? Uh, I said I, 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 caregivers, but everybody in general, we need to learn to rest and not mm. quit. Sometimes we, we go too heavy and then we burn out. Instead, learn to take breaks, learn to take a rest. Think, think of the marathon, not the sprint. And mm -hmm. you know, that applies to being an entrepreneur, that applies to being an artist, that applies to marriage, that applies to being a caregiver. It's, you know, the baby yeah. steps will add up. You can't have it all figured out overnight. And, you know, uh, you know, take care of yourself. If you don't have a flame yeah. left, then you're of no use to anybody else. And expectations is a biggie. You know, caregivers are trying to meet the one they're caring for expectations there it's a thankless job you know they get criticized they usually don't get thanked mm -hmm. and so can, can you get me this can you get me that because they don't put boundaries in their life 
-hmm. And so how do they get over that that feeling of uh, the perfectionistic and you know, I have to meet all their needs and, and when hurting, when I should say when helping you hurts me, what do they do about that? I, I mean, I think a lot of it stems from when we were younger and we just, as kids, we always assumed that adults had it all figured out and they never made any mistakes. And, you know, probably because many of our parents never took the time to say, I'm sorry and show us their flaws. And by the time we recognized their flaws, we were adults ourselves and, and resenting them for it. And I think what happens is we don't have control over making other people happy, but we do have a lot of control over managing our expectations. You know, being unhappy, simply put, is when the ideas in your head don't match the ideas in front of you. You know, you want it to be one way and you look at the world and it's another way, so you're unhappy. The problem is so many of us waste our energy trying to change the world when really what we need to do <laughs> is change our attitude and our expectations. Oh my gosh, you are so wise. Yes. So so well put. See, I, I'm writing a book now, Dave's Hammock Wisdom, 99 Lessons Learned Living Life. I, I have a rival here, Adrian. This guy is pretty wise. Because <laughs> I'm known for my wisdom over the years because I just, I lay on my hammock and I solve the world's problems, solve my, my own problems, solve my family's problems. Anyway, enough about me. This is about you. Discovering what really matters to us, but unleashing the things that don't. Talk about that. Um, you know, in my own journey, you know, I kept thinking I had to learn new things, add new things to my life. I had to gain more and more and more. Matters. And, and I mean, and it's a cultural thing out here in North America. Like, you know, the biggest religion out here is buy stuff, be happy. And it's never <laughs> enough. It's materialism. Never, materialism. But it's not even just materialism. It's like status. It's followers. It's likes. Yeah. It's audience. It's everything. And what I realized as, as I was getting kind of chewed up and spit out by the entertainment industry and, and everything else was, hey, I didn't need to gain more things to be successful. I need to let go of a lot of old ideas and old <laughs> beliefs and old values. And the moment I started letting go of things, I started feeling a lot lighter and I had a lot more room to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think we, you know, as I said, that, that's, that's the whole premise behind the book Unlearn is to gain more from letting go. And when life feels heavy, instead of adding to it, you know, let's learn to let go of some of it. And that requires us to do some internal auditing and figure out what's important to us and what's really not important to us. So often we do things because it's important to other people and not us. Wow. Yeah, that's that's so true. Uh, the, the chips on our shoulders. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's an old, old expression. Hey, get that chip off your shoulder. You don't hear yeah. too, too many people say that these days. <laughs> but I'm glad it's coming back. And how letting go can give us more. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's an old saying in the 70s, you know, whatever you uh, there was a bumper sticker says, if you love something, let it go. And if it was meant to to uh, be yours, come back. Right? Oh, that's where it was. Yes. And <laughs> and there was another bumper sticker to counter that one says, if you love something, hunt it down and shoot it. You know, <laughs> and even the Bible says, you know, if you if you grab too tightly on the things you want, you'll find that it just slips through your fingers the way sand does. So speak yeah. about that. Um, I think, again, it's. You know, the chips on our shoulders, sometimes when we're, when we're younger, we, we feel the need to prove something and we never kind of update the narrative in our own lives. So, you know, for me, my father was a cab driver. He came to this country. He had a master's degree, but he couldn't use any of his education. Wow. It, wasn't, it wasn't acknowledged here unless he did like five more years of schooling. So he became a cab driver. And I remember being like five years old and he got attacked. You know, he was wow. robbed and attacked. And, you know, seeing his face all cut and bruised up, mm -hmm. you know, I had a certain, it, it created a chip on my shoulder where I needed to 
you know, prove his sacrifices right. I needed to make something of myself in the world. I needed to smash that cab. I needed to, to, to beat up all the racists. I need to do all these different things and, you know, let that be my fuel. But the reality is that that's not sustainable. Proving people wrong is not sustainable. I mean, it does come in handy once in a while, but in the long run, if you're in it for the long run, you know, proving people right, chasing your authentic enthusiasms and your passions are going to last a lot longer than yeah. simply continually challenging a, a moment of trauma. And often the chips on our shoulders come from that. You know, it's a, you know, I caught myself, you know, again, being young, growing up and growing up in a country that I was born in, but everybody thinks I wasn't born here. You deal with a lot of racism. And then you want to find a situation where you're like, hey, how do I get that validation now? Oh, look, you know, I'm getting more popular. Maybe I should start modeling. Maybe I should see how many girls I can get. And yeah. realizing that I'm not doing any of this to better my life. I'm just doing this to, to make up for a past that no longer exists anyways. And filling you know, yourself helping people. Up. Yeah, filling yourself up with stuff that you don't you never needed in the first place just because you had an unhealthy childhood that just needed to get revisited, you know? Uh, and and that was the big thing for me. So, you know, realizing that, you know, where do the chips on our shoulders come from? And let's not devote the rest of our lives to, to living in the past or making up for a past. Because that past isn't here anymore. Wow. So finding purpose through serving and building a community. You know, uh, caregivers, there are communities called support groups because a lot of times they can't make it unless they are surrounded by people who are going through what they're going through, their pain that they're going through, to let them know that, you know, this is, hey, I've been doing this 22 years and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Don't give up. Don't kill yourself. Don't go crazy. And uh, talk about that. Um I think what we end up doing is when we have challenging times, it's so easy and convenient to feel sorry for ourselves. And self-pity, uh, to me, you know, all humans need to feel connected. We all have that need for connection. And what we may not realize, though, is self-pity is like the fast food version of that. It's quick. <laughs> it's easy. It's convenient. And it feels uh, good. It feels good, just like eating at McDonald's. You know, in, in the first five minutes, it, it feels great. And it's and easy. And then it cheap. doesn't. <laughs> and then it doesn't. And it's the same thing with self-pity. Uh, what we end up doing is we create a connection with ourselves saying, hey, nobody understands what I'm going through mm -hmm. but me. And what we don't realize is we're isolating ourselves from other people. And what we actually need is connect, real connection uh, yeah. and more sustainable connection, a healthier connection. And um, that, that comes to building communities. And that comes to being a little bit vulnerable and sharing our stories with other people because yeah. the reality is, is we're all in the same boat. Even if That's we're not right. all caregivers, we're all dealing with the same struggles. We all have the same anxieties towards our future. We all have the same regrets towards our past. We all have a lot of expectations that don't get met. We all have a bunch of promises that somebody put into our head that don't get fulfilled. And it, it leaves us in a, in a level of dread. And I think... When we start sharing this with each other, we're like, whoa, I'm not the only one. And we can build a community and share best practices, whether it's in the caregiver community, whether it's in, you know, just your local community. You know, we all have so much in common and all we have to do is open ourselves up. And it just takes us to take that first step to share. Yep. Wow. This is amazing, Adrian. Yep. Uh, after the break, we're going to uh, have him share some of his poetry with us. Mm. Good. Ooh, see? <laughs> we got five, five more minutes to the break, just to warn you, it's coming. Um, so, Humble the Poet's Journey, right? A child of immigrants becoming an artist and his experience entering the realm of Hollywood. 
Tell us about Hollywood. That's got to be an education, huh? Yeah. So um, I started when I was in Toronto. Uh, when I started in Toronto, I was just putting music up on YouTube and, you know, releasing one song every couple of months. And I was working as a teacher and everything was fine and dandy. And it was just a great way to, you know, scratch an artistic itch. Great way to meet the ladies. Great way to, you know, gain, be able to yeah. crash a party and people knew who I was. It was it was simple and my ambitions were small. And then slowly, uh, as you know, opportunities came my way, you know, somebody would be like, hey, we'll fly you out to Fresno, California and, and perform or, hey, you know, come to this festival. And, and slowly just different opportunities came. You know, I, I had to kind of look at it from a more of a serious lens. And uh, I, I had a community uh, in uh, Toronto of different artists and, and another friend of mine, uh, they were taking comedy very serious at the time. So we would start going out to L.A., uh, splitting an Airbnb and I would focus on, you know, trying to make things happen in the music world out there. They would focus on making things happen in the comedy world. And uh, both of us using YouTube kind of as our, our platform mm -hmm. to share yeah. our work and kind of to bypass the gatekeepers. And uh, it, it, it became an interesting journey. You know, their, their comedy did very well and, and, and they, they made a permanent move out there. And I think through that process, I kind of realized that that city was definitely not for me. City, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great place. It, it, it definitely teaches every artist how to mix commerce and creativity and find the different options and the different ways to make a living. But I also felt like, you know, it, it'd be better for me to learn that stuff and bring it home because, you know, I'm, I'm from one of the most multicultural uh, and amazing cities to have ever existed in humanity. And it's on its own, it's having its own moment for the last 10 years in, in the creative world. I mean, the Raptors just won the championship. The city's becoming world-class. Wow. Google's building a little mini city in Toronto. Like we're, we're really, you know, so for what I realized was instead of me trying to be a very, very, very small fish in a massively right. old pond, known as Los Angeles and Hollywood, I'm like, hey, I can actually come to Toronto and start digging the pond. Right. You know, <laughs> not even be the big fish. I can start digging it and, and, and educating the next generation of artists be the, and let them know. You could be the owner of the pond. Yeah, I could, and, and I mean, and guys that look like me in Toronto get a seat at the table. You know, that's still not happening <laughs> in L.A. And it's, you know, and it's, and it's a reality that I got to deal with and work with. And, and you know, the future, and, and I, I represent the future and, 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 and what, what the world is turning into. So um, seeing the challenge, so what yeah. I realized is it's in, 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 in all worlds, you know, there's three levels. You can view other people as your competition. Um, you can choose to cooperate with them or you can choose to collaborate with them. And what I realized was, you know, in, in my early years, anybody else doing it, we all just saw each other's competition. We didn't know what we were doing. And then you get to Hollywood, everybody cooperates. Uh, it's out of a, a mutual, mutual benefit. Everybody, you know, I'll, I'll benefit from this transaction. You'll benefit. Let's just do it. Uh, but I, I hungered for collaboration. And collaboration to me is when everybody involved is working on something bigger than themselves. And uh, I wasn't yeah. finding that in Hollywood too much. Uh, and there are pockets. There's some, there's some amazingly talented people there. But the, the, the environment and the industry itself dictates that you got to get as much as you can, as quick as you can, because somebody else has just moved from their small town and they're here in the big leagues now. you got to make it happen. Chasing so, you. Yeah, just chasing you. And then, so I learned a lot of work ethic. I learned, I learned a lot about how to earn as a creative um, and, and I learned a lot about, you know, taking things to that next level and, and not just simply staying in Toronto and, and stunting my growth. So uh, I travel back and forth between all of them. And um, my favorite quote is Los Angeles is undefeated. 
And I, I remind myself that you can't take anything personal when you go there because that's how the city existed before I was born. That's how the city is going to be after I pass. <laughs> so, you know, respect the nature of what it is. And, and that's a big lesson I always try to promote to people is just, hey, understand the nature of your environment and stop, you know, stop creating a lot of unnecessary tension when you want to change it to a way that it never was going to be. Yeah, you know, that's that's synergy. The definition of synergy is the sum total uh, of the parts are greater than the parts themselves, and and you know you're all serving for a greater purpose and a greater work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, Los Angeles uh, maybe don't always feel that way. They're all you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for you? You know, how's yeah. how's working with you going to make me better? You know, yeah. And and, and I mean, it, it is a great lesson in human nature. I think it's an important yeah. lesson. Uh, when you when you communicate with people, you, sh you should definitely let them know, make them a stakeholder, and let them know how this is going to impact or benefit them, um, and stop. You know, and I, and, I, and I've been able to do that to help other people get their projects across. I have a friend right now who's doing PSAs for this rare lung disease that their father has, and you know, and, and and the first draft of her script was pulling on people's heartstrings to get them to care. And then, you know, after doing some rewrites, we're like, hey, the bigger point here is to remind people that anybody can get it. Mm -hmm. And that anybody can get this lung disease, and we don't even have effective tools to measure or detect it. So now you got people caring about it because it may impact them. And, and yeah. that's not the most romantic thought, but it's realistic. And yeah. you know, it's it's it's. And I learned that from LA. You know, you have to you know don't appeal to people's hearts. Appeal to their self-interest. And yeah. uh, you know, eventually they'll evolve from it too. They'll they'll live a life where they only live for themselves and feel feel the emptiness. And eventually they'll find the value in service and collaboration and thinking in terms of abundance instead of scarcity. But everyone comes to that realization on their own time. Well, listen, it's time for a break. Why don't we uh, take a break and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome caregivers. Thank you so much for finding your way to our community of loving and supportive caregivers. We as caregivers understand and know the day-to-day -day feelings of guilt, fear, and loneliness. But guess what? There is hope. I, Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver, along with my team of experts and caring caregivers, have made this site just for you. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live Weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. We know funds are tight, so we offer all of our individual Thrive Solutions Packs. Or for even a better deal, you can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. 
And we're back with our guest, Humble the Poet, Kanwar Mal, a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word, artist, poet, internationally best-selling author, just an amazing guy, my gosh. And Adrian Gruberg, our, our uh, co-host, and I'm Dave, the caregiver, Dave Nassani. And you talked about comedy. Uh, did you try comedy at all? You look like you could be a funny guy if you wanted to be. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of brevity in my work. Uh, I mean, even in the book, there's a lot of comedy. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a straight talker, and I mean, my <laughs> and a straight my, shooter, a straight shooter, and my 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 hero and my uh, oh. my unofficial guru is George Carlin. I feel like you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you look like a George Carlin. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, quite I, literally I, also. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I probably model myself after him. So, and I mean, you're sitting there at a comedy show and, and it doesn't even feel like comedy sometimes the way he does it. So I take a lot from him and when life gets heavy, I just turn on one of his specials and it just melts yeah. all the tension away. So um, comedy to me is just the brilliant mix of honesty and intelligence. You know, yeah. you can tell somebody the truth in a way that doesn't, you know, cause existential dread. So uh, I include a lot of comedy in my music. I include it in my work. I have some, you know, some of my most popular videos on YouTube are comedy based, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes that's the only way you can make the truth digestible. So it gives someone something to laugh at, even if it's themselves. Did your friends ever talk you into going and doing a three or four minute set at a comedy club on open night? Open the, mic night or anything? Uh, I mean, the irony of that was I loved going to those open mic nights, especially when I was a <laughs> when I was a starving artist, because it'd be two hours of of entertainment for four dollars uh, at the at the comedy clubs here in downtown Toronto. And um, but do you participate? You know, I never participated in the and, and the interesting was I had mentioned it to somebody who was a comedian who didn't know me, and they they made it into like a big pep talk where they thought I was just scared. You know, yeah. they thought I was like too scared to go on stage and do it. And I'm like, no, I, I spend a lot of time on stage. Um, even when I perform music, I, I'll talk for about 15 minutes between songs and I drop a lot of comedy that way. Um, I, I feel like I'm a big fan of the, the, of, of the freedom, the, the comedians who have freedom of speech, who still have it, when they yeah. can make the inappropriate jokes and things are in context. I don't know if that exists anymore. Someone pulls out their phone, they record half a joke. Posted on the internet and everybody gets offended, um, <laughs> but I definitely like I don't get offended. I don't think people should get offended in, in general. So uh, you can tell the type of comedy that I love because of that. Yeah. But um, maybe one day. But I, I incorporate a lot of comedy into my work, so I think it's already there. And I mean, I'm also well, uh, it, it's a, it's an amazing experience. I mean, I did it for the first time in my life. I've been wanting to do it for like twenty years, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, I never did. But I had an opportunity at the Harvard Club of New York. Uh, just off Broadway, so I told everybody I'm having my my comedy set uh, debut off Broadway at uh, the Harvard Club of New York, and I did four minutes, and they laughed. You know, but it, you got to keep working on the material. That's yeah, got to keep working on the material. It's all about the material. Well, my my buddy uh, James uh, Altiger, he owns uh, Stand Up New York. Uh, oh really? Manhattan, so on like seventy sixth. Mm. Hey, we'll get together. Yep. Yeah, he's he's offered me use of his club for anything that I want to use it for. Oh, wow. that's great. Yeah, and he's Good just club. It's a great club, yeah. yeah. So Adrian okay. knows all those places. Yeah. So I feel clubs? like yep. Carolyn's too. <laughs> Carolyn's is a good one as well. Yeah. So it's a it, and I, I'm a huge fan either way. I, I mean, I feel like I could probably go up and just make stuff up. Oh, you'd kill it. it you'd kill so. it. 
We, we, can, uh, we can do that. It's just another thing <laughs> to round you, you know? Yeah, add to the list of the Another notch right on your resume. <laughs> yeah, so, so my introductions get even longer. Yeah. <laughs> How often do you get to New York? Um, I, I've been averaging maybe about once every other month. No, oh, that's a lot. Yeah, and how about LA? Where you stay away from LA now? No, no, no. I still, I, I spend a lot. I, I, I probably spend about forty percent of my life in LA. Right, so you years. do a lot of traveling. You're I travel just, quite a bit. But you're not just stuck in Tor- Toronto, a oh, great no. city as it is. I need to be though. So my goal is, I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> flying, I'm flying to Portland in two days, and then coming back, and then flying to New York for a week, and then coming back. But then uh, I'm trying. Traveling is amazing and fantastic, and I'm yeah. so blessed to do it. But it's not good if you're trying to eat healthy. It's not right. good if you're trying to get regular sleep, uh, and it's not good if you're trying to just stay in shape. And I realize that. And yeah. I mean, I'm I'm on a plane all the time, so I gotta. I want to stay. I want to stay in one place for the summer and see if I can uh, make some progress. Well, you have about two and a half minutes. Yeah, is is that enough time to like uh, do a, one or two poems or? Uh... Uh, yeah, uh, what I'll do is I, I have this one poem that I actually wrote about my dad and his whole story about you know uh, uh, being the cabbie, and I call it I call it life of an immigrant, and uh, it's kind of in his honor, and it's a it's a funny one because he had he had no reaction when I performed it for him, but that's that's him. He he's you know he's in that space. He's but, a comedian uh, too. <laughs> yeah, he's a comedian in his own right. He's a great guy. Straight man. Um, Straight, very straight. So I'll, I'll perform that, and then uh, I mean it's definitely not comedy, but I'll perform it and get an idea and a flavor of what spoken word poetry can be, and uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. So they told them the grass was greener, with an endless flood of possibilities. Katrina, watch him drown in debt. Land confiscated by the local government, so he flies high in a jet plane. Plain clothes just exposed him to the harsh winters of life, and his wife won't know about the sweat soaked in the bankroll. Time home, boy getting grown, he starts to groan, stomach's rumbling. Hungry for a better life, now he's stumbling over foreign phonetics and those verb tenses. They laughing at his accent. It's not an accident, though, that his master's in economics is an honor. Most economic for a father to hop his ass in a cab and never bother getting out. That car or his dreams, memorize the route and collect the fare. It isn't fair when they say you don't belong here with that long beard and that towel around your head. Hear what was said. Soak in the hate. Can you relate? Life of an immigrant. Wow. That was that was very moving. Thank you. You got another one? Um, I don't think I have anything else with, with, with nice language. It might be a little bit longer, so I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I thought you weren't a gangster rapper. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not a gangster rapper, but when you do get passionate about things, uh, the bad language still get... comes up. Yeah. Still yeah, get riled up. So I... Yeah. yeah, so I've talked about you know we're, we're rated G here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I, I don't I don't have anything else that's language friendly. <laughs> All right, well let's take a break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dave Nasani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled "It's My Life Too: Reclaim Your Caregiver Sanity by Learning When to Say Yes and When to Say No." It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through, because he is one. 
and he now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his incredible caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. We'll help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver. On sale everywhere and at caregiverscaregiver.com. And we're back with Conwar Mal, the uh, poet, and Adrian Gruberg. And I'm Dave Sani, and we're talking about your book. Let's talk about your book, Unlearn. Why did you write it? What's it about? And what do you hope to accomplish with it? Um, when I was at the most challenging parts of my life, and you know, I, I had left my job to, to become a full-time musician. I thought I had a record deal. I thought I was working with some really, you know, above-board people, uh, and it all came crashing down. And what ended up happening was, while I thought I had money coming in through this record deal, I started, you know, I, I left my job. I was living off a credit card, living off lines of credit. I just put myself in a bunch of debt, um, and then it all just went away. Everybody that I was working with disappeared, and. Uh, you know, I guess the right word would be bamboozled, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some big Ponzi scheme. It was just people trying to make things happen. They couldn't make it happen. Instead of having a conversation, they just, they just disappeared. Profiting and off of your dreams. Ex- exactly. I think they recognized the talent, but they didn't right. have the means to. Common really, story. Calm, very, and I mean, and, and now looking back, it's probably an essential thing that I went through. And I found myself feeling sorry for myself. I, I laid in bed and I, I started taking, you know, all the wrong types of medications to make myself feel better. Uh, I was blaming everybody except myself. I was blaming friends for not warning me. I was blaming the people who I felt betrayed me. I was blaming life. I was blaming everybody. And I was hoping, you know, I was in $80,000 debt. And I was hoping somebody was going to And I had no job. I had no way of earning an income. And I thought, you know, someone's going to come in and just, you know, a white knight's going to save the day. <laughs> and, you know, after two weeks of laying in bed and doing absolutely nothing, the white knight never arrived. The cavalry never came. And I had to get up and I had to take ownership. And when I took ownership, that's when things started to change. I started taking responsibility. And I recognized that, hey, my problems may not all be my fault, but my problems are all my responsibility. You know, I, I might not be the reason I'm yeah. here, but I'm here now and I got to deal with it. And it's nobody else's problem. Everybody has their own stuff they got to deal with. And I spent the next four years clawing my way out, clawing my way out of debt, clawing my way out of the depression and the hole I felt and, and the blame that I put on everybody else and the resentment that I held. And when I used to read inspirational quotes from other people, it just felt so fluffy and light. And, you know, other self-help gurus were just promising you the world for, for, for no work. And I saw the scam in it. It was just, you know, sell you something big and make it convenient. And I needed something real. I had real mortgage payments to make. I had real problems. I had real anxiety. I had lost 25 pounds. And if you guys can see me, I don't, wow. have, weight to, I don't have weight to lose. You don't have that to lose. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've actually saved it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like 170 right now. And I actually saved this picture. I can show you guys right here of my scale. It's 144. Wow. I, Good looking feet, down. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Good looking feet, and uh, but I keep that as a reminder. Just like you know, things got really bad, and I went, I went to a really dark place, and I had to, I had to look inside to find everything that I needed to to get in a better spot. And all those conversations I had with myself is the book. And what it was, I started sharing those conversations on Facebook. I just write stuff out. 
and I share them on Facebook. And then the top comments would always be like, wow, it's like you're living in my head. Wow, you're yeah. telling my story. Uh, wow, <laughs> I need my to mail. hear this today. Yeah, I need to hear this today. We're all in the same boat. More than we have in common than, than people think. Exactly. So, so everybody thinks their problems are unique until somebody really spells it out for them. Yeah, we have more in common than we don't. Exactly. And me being, you know, I was an elementary school teacher. I'm a poet. I, I can put things together in words very well. So I help people mm -hmm. articulate their own feelings. And eventually they're like, hey, you should write a book. And I was like, I don't know how to write a book. And then it was my community that showed me crowdfunding. My community showed me uh, self-publishing. They showed me everything. They taught me how to use Adobe InDesign to build a book. And mm -hmm. I did it all with their support. And I crowdfunded the book. And um, I raised about $26,000 from 300 wow. people. Um, it's ironic. You, 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 from your sweatshirt, my biggest contributor was a Harvard professor that I'd never met. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he and he gave me about fifteen hundred dollars, and he said, "I just I just like seeing artists that are taking business into their own hands." Mm. And uh, you know that was that was the turning point for me. When and it all happened because I admitted I needed help. I admitted I didn't know what oh. I was doing. Uh, when people asked me to do things, I'm like, "Hey, I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to do any of this." And what <laughs> came from all of that was Unlearn, and then Unlearn was published uh, originally in 2014 independently. And I would I would still go around touring and doing music, and then instead of selling you know T-shirts, I sold my book. Mm -hmm. And then the more people that got the book, the more people liked me for the book, because you know more people read books than listen to hip hop. This and, is when uh, it was self-published, right? This one was self-published, and uh, it was a it was a paperback, and I just would have boxes shipped to wherever I was performing, and you know take the gig for free, and then and sell the book to, to right. make some money. And, you know, people found value in the book. And then a few years later, 2017, uh, the, the biggest bookstore in Canada hit me up and said, hey, we found out you had a book. We'd love to republish it and, and put it on our shelves. And I was like, sure, what do you guys need from me? So, like, just email yeah. us the file. So I emailed them the file, and then it became an instant bestseller the first week it released. Fantastic. And, uh, it was a bestseller in Canada for nine months. And wow. then after that, I started doing well in other places. And then uh, uh, HarperCollins. Uh, from the United States called, and then we just republished in the in uh, the United States on April 9th. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's been a five-year journey. It's like you plant a seed and it grows when it grows. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm wearing this because I'm going to speak at the Harvard Club of uh, Boston in two more days. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually a USC graduate. Okay. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the way that goes. Um, yeah. Let's don't be afraid to chase your dream, right? Let's yeah. talk about caregivers lose their dreams if they ever had one to begin with, right? Because they think they're they've just been sentenced to caregiver prison with no possibility of parole, you know, and they were they were just uh, locked up and thrown away the key, and they lost their friends, they stopped uh, socializing, now they're isolated, they're not eating right, they're not uh, sleeping right, they're just a mess, and when you talk about their dream, they say, no, my dream is dead, man. How do you keep your dream from dying? I, I think, A, realizing that oh. we all need something to look forward to in life, no matter who we are. And, you know, It doesn't matter how much is in our bank account, what we got going on. If we don't have something to look forward to, then we're not going to be excited to get out of bed. And, you know... Don't lose that vision. Don't lose that vision. And obviously, you know, real life gets... Real life, you know comes in the way and it throws a lot of curveballs 
And that doesn't mean you have to abandon things. That that may just mean you have to extend your timeline and stretch it out. And maybe something yeah. that you thought you can get done in five years may take 15. Yeah. But that's okay. And yeah. the irony of it is, you know, the, some of the things that you said that caregivers say, I've heard people say that who aren't caregivers. Sure. You know, I've heard people say that who are parents. So I've heard people who say that who are just afraid of their own parents. It's like, well, my parents want me to do this and I want to do this. I'm just going to keep them happy. They, they've, they've already been through enough. Let me just make them happy. It's like, <laughs> look, man, if you live for other people, in the long run, you're going to end up resenting them. Right. I think it's have... an easier path, but yeah, it's not. It's, it's definitely not. And I think we'll be more energized when we feed our souls first. And, and again, it's 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 the age-old analogy of, you know, put your mask on first in the airplane so you can be of use to somebody else. It's fill, it's fill up your cup first so you can share the overflow. But it's the simple idea that, hey, you don't – you might find some significance in being a martyr, but that's not sustainable. And instead, find significance being useful and not only be useful to other people, but be useful to yourself. And you're taking care of somebody, but have a conversation with them and let them know who you are. Because <clears throat> if, you're, if your flame burns out, then you're not good to them either. Yeah. Do they listen when you tell people this? Um, sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> they don't. I mean, I think my policy is have the conversation once. The ones that listen, keep them yeah. in their lives. The ones that don't, just wish them the best and move on. My experience, most of them do not listen. And then you, you see them again next year. Hey, how's that? Problem going? Oh man, it got worse. I said, "Well, did you <laughs> do what I tell you to do?" No. Well, I have. Hello. I actually have a. I actually have a quote in the book where I say, um, "If you don't take the necessary steps to improve your life, then your misery is not only guaranteed; it's probably deserved." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and of course, the old saying. We're saying a lot of old cliches here. Yeah. But uh, insanity. Uh, the definition of insanity is. Uh, doing the same the thing same and thing. expecting different results. So Exactly, exactly. Well, listen, we're up on another break, so we'll be right back. Don't go away. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships, is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Everyone who knows Charlene is thoroughly amazed at how she lives day by day, month by month, year by year, and with a smile on her face and hope in her heart that everything is going to be okay. Just hear what best-selling author Lynn Barrington has to say about it. If you think you have it bad, read this book. This is a beautiful, genuine story told from the heart. It's inspiring and easy to read. When you finish this book, you'll be able to look at your concerns in a new light. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships. Available everywhere. And we're back with Tanwa Mal, an amazing poet, amazing rapper, amazing uh, reader, slam reader. I don't know. I got these. Slam poet. Slam, slam, slam poet. poet. Okay. Yeah. And um, he did a uh, uh, a little reading for us in the last segment, but uh, he doesn't have any more that are clean. So <laughs> I mean, even even, even the book isn't clean. There, there, even the book isn't clean. Well, yeah, you know, there's inappropriate just, language in the book as well. It's it's sometimes wrong, you got to be straight. You know? Yeah, it's got to be it's wrong. wrong. Sometimes uh, you know you need a little profanity to slap you in the face to to get your attention. You know, exactly. I'm not Some I'm people... not in the business of sugarcoating. <laughs> 
um, selfish. You know, uh, I was going to entitle my, my third book, The Selfish Caregiver. But every, everyone, publisher, everyone said, no, 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 you can't do that. Selfish is such a, uh, a, a negative word, you know. And I said, okay. So I named it, uh, it's my life to reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. It wasn't until I talked at TEDx a few months ago that uh, their, their whole philosophy is don't promote yourself. We don't want to hear about who you are and what you've done. Just tell us, share uh, an idea worth spreading. Yeah. And um, so I told him what I did. Okay, you know what? Um, we came up with the uh, with the idea that caregivers need to be selfish in order to survive. He says that's perfect. We that's great. We love it. Everyone else hated it, but they loved it. So we went with it. And you know that's how I feel because caregivers are so selfless, the opposite of selfish, that they need to bring that pendulum back more than halfway just to get some balance and that's what they don't understand you know that uh the, the, if even the bible says love others the way you love yourself well a lot of people don't even love themselves how are they gonna love others exactly. yeah that, that ends up being very uh, that could be if people like took that literally it'd be very destructive because yeah we, we generally love others more than we love ourselves yeah and caregivers at least have to value their life i say more but if that's too hard for them and say at least value your life equal to your loved one, yeah. so that you know sometimes they win, sometimes you win, but they they just can't keep winning all the time, or you you know you are going to burn out. So what do you got yeah. to say about selfish? Um, I think people have to realize like it's not selfish to put yourself first, especially if you're in a position of service and people depend on you. Then you have to make sure that you know all your your engines are firing off at all on all pistons. You got to make sure yeah. you're, you're 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 oiled up and you're fueled up and you're good to go. Um, Even if that is that's the very definition of being selfish, putting yourself first. But that's not bad. Well, I think the actual definition of selfish is expecting other people to put you first. I think that's a lot more selfish mm. versus putting that's yourself first. Other people to put you first. Yeah. Interesting. I think take care of yourself. Take care of people you care about. Don't expect other people to put you first. That's selfish. I see. Right. I other agree. people got their they got their own stuff that they got to deal with. Did I tell you this guy is wise, Adrian? Wow. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Solomon, right? <laughs> two two women brought Solomon the baby. They said, you know, one baby is dead because she rolled over him, and then they swapped him. And you know, she says it's uh, mine. I say it's it's mine. And Solomon says, well, bring me a, a knife. I'll cut him in half. And the one who was the real mother says, no, 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 don't do that. Let her have it. And he says, give her, give her the baby because only a mother would do that. So, I mean, that's wisdom. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it comes from time. And I think that's the thing, especially if you're an entrepreneur. You know, I had to, I had to say no a lot. You know, you have to say no a lot to, to stuff. When I was in my struggling phases and friends wanted to go to Cancun for a bachelor party or so-and-so is having a party on the weekend. You're like, I gotta, I have to work. You know, I'm, I'm in a position where if I don't work, I don't earn. You know, I don't have, a, I don't have a day job anymore. I don't have a salary coming in. I don't have anything. Mm -hmm. My, my results are direct, directly related to my efforts. And even when I put in the effort, I don't get results. So I don't have time to, or the money, or the energy to spend on some of these things. And people are like, well, you know, that's not cool. This is that. And you have to just realize that, hey, a lot of people use guilt and shame. As, as weapons to kind of control us. And, you know, they tell us, oh, you're being selfish. Oh, you're being this, you're being that. And I think it's important for people to realize, no, like, don't listen to this, this guilt and this shame that's coming your way. 
And, uh, you know, there are people that will understand that. And, you know, I always tell every single friend who's in the entrepreneurial world and the artist world, I go, busy is a blessing. If you're too busy to hang out with me, just let me know. As long as you communicate it with me, I don't have an issue with it. And, you know, because I've been in their shoes, I get it. And I think it's very often, it's the same thing with caregivers. You got to realize that, hey, they, the person you were taking care of needs to be taken care of. So they understand that you also need to be taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a person may not be able to be there for you physically, but they can still be there for you emotionally. <laughs> they, might, they might be able to be there for you just be, to, to give you company, give you some time off. And I think, you know, it's going to come with having conversations. Not all those conversations are going to be comfortable, but you have them now and you avoid a lot of heartache later. Right. Now, you say something that sounds really strange, almost incorrect, but what? I don't think so. It's what? we all have reasons to feel miserable, right? Yeah. Explain that. At some point in our all, each of our lives, we, 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 we got this idea that, there's somebody else out there who's eternally happy and they're living happily ever after and they experience nothing but euphoria and bliss. And that's not the truth. The truth is every single human being on this planet has a reason to be miserable. They're going through some challenges. They're all dealing with something. something? Nobody, all, nobody yeah. is problem free. Nobody is problem free. Um, definitely some people have it better than others, but even the people who have it better than others, most likely those are just people who get to choose their problems, but they're not problem free as well as just existence in itself. You know, the human experience comes with misery. It comes with challenges, both physical and mental. And, and these are challenges that are inevitabilities. You know, you can't simply have a positive quote and make it all go away. You know, if somebody has yeah. arthritis or a lower back pain or cancer, like this stuff is real. This is part of the human experience. And we don't have to, you know, dip it in sugar and make it seem like it's okay. You know, yeah. we can have a better attitude towards it, but that attitude can still be grounded in real and realism yeah. and not in some fluffy, you know, BS. And I think, so for me to, to tell people like, it's okay to be miserable. You do have reasons to be miserable. And once you acknowledge those, because the next line in yeah. the book is you also have reasons, you all also have reasons to be grateful. Yeah, true. You know? And I think when we take ownership of our misery, then we can also take ownership of the reasons we have to be grateful. And I think what it yeah. is is we're told, don't feel miserable, don't complain, just be grateful. And instead of like, no, how about you just do both? How about you you be happy or, or, or you're unhappy that it's raining today, but you are happy that you'll have green grass and you can go both ways. So wise, so be wise. Real. I am such a wiser man today because I heard you <laughs> on the radio. So how do we get this book so that we can get even more wisdom? Uh, unlearn it's available everywhere so they can probably, probably everywhere <laughs> deeply discounted on amazon right now so just look mm -hmm. up humble the poet unlearn um I, i'm on the shelves at barnes and noble um, i'm at your independent bookstores support your independent bookstores they should have it they don't have it ask them why they don't and encourage <laughs> them to get it uh, of course yeah but uh I'm with, I'm with the publishers so the publishers have put it everywhere so it's in i mean it's also available in audio book so if yeah. reading is not your jam, you can find Did it. Did you on. read it yourself? Of course I read it myself. I'm a, I'm a recording artist. so It's his rhythm. It, 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 and, it's, yeah. So I spent, and soon I to be comedy years. guy, too, as well. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more comedy in the audiobook. I, I, I kind of go off script a little bit sometimes with that. Mm. So if you want a different experience, you know, go on Audible, get the audiobook, and it's also available on Kindle. 
So right. the books and available. if they want to get a hold of you and pick your brain, you have an email or? Uh, they can find me on social media at HumbleThePoet.com. Humble um, I mean, Is that your real name, Humble? Humble the Poet. Well, I mean, yeah. Humble is what everybody calls me now because nobody can pronounce my first name. <laughs> what is your first name? Gungwer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so my, well, my legal are, I was going to say, if they named yeah. you Humble, you know, you become your name and you seem like a Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I mean, but it's also not very humble to call yourself Humble. But, I mean, that name... <laughs> <laughs> that that name came up a long time ago before I ever thought I'd be in this position that I'm in. So Wasn't the, I'm isn't it in the uh, in the book of Torah, Adrian, um, that it says Moses was the most humble man that ever lived, and yet who wrote the book of uh, Exodus? <laughs> it was Moses. Moses yeah. exactly. <laughs> so that was a very so, was a very humble of him. Well, Adrian, how do we get <laughs> how do we get a hold of you, Adrian? Uh, it's Adrian at the caregiverspace.org. And the caregiverspace.org is the website. The caregiverspace is the Facebook page. And I'm Dave Nassani. It's simple. Caregiverdave.com. Just check it out. Get some free gifts. We're giving away free gifts on our website. And I am so excited to uh, say good goodbye to my guest because he has really enlightened me, and I'm sure he's enlightened Adrian. So good thank guest. you so much. Uh, you were a great, you, a great guest. Uh, one of the ones that's way up there, and I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, you never knew up by looking at you, but uh, you're a great guy. Backhanded compliment, right? Why yeah, would you yeah. not know that by looking at him? No, I feel like <laughs> my, my, my beard is he long just, He looks so unusual, you know? Here's a guy. No, what happens on this screen is your black top and your beard I'll come together oh, and all I can in. see okay. are your front teeth. We're both beard guys, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's... <laughs> so God bless you, and thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program with Dave Nassani. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.